Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, taking care of everything behind the scenes, making the Pistons Pulse what it is. And if you aren't already, make sure you check him out on the pin down over the DBB YouTube channel, talking Detroit Pistons as well. That's where you can hear his beautiful voice. And yes, I say it, beautiful voice, because Amari, we have one of the most unique reviews we have got. And so, of course, if you're watching live on YouTube or after the fact on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe, all of those things. Apple, Spotify, leave us a rating. Very proud. I think we both are of our 4.9 rating on Apple and Spotify right now. But we got a new one. This is from Medski from TC. Omari and Bryce are my boys, they say, with three exclamation points. (laughs) I laugh because of how this one starts, though. When you get past Omari's very white voice and Bryce's prepubescent tone, you get to hear insightful commentary on our Pistons who are definitely underperforming but have tantalizing young talent. These guys go deep into the stats, trends, slumps, hot streak, and injuries to keep the cast listenable and entertaining. Plus, they speak with confidence of one who's played the game. Keep it up, fellas. Our Pistons will soon rise. I was like, I don't know how to take this one. One, why is Barry White's voice for Omari a negative thing? And then why do they think that I sound like a little kid? So I, I'm not really I'm not really sure. Maybe it's the overexcitement that I have when I record Maybe. the pod. Like, I don't know. You're like, I would say your voice is like I would go chipper, like I would go energetic. I don't know if I would compare it to a child's voice. You know, maybe my very white tone, it's just the, the the contrast that makes it sound that way. But like for me, it felt like a compliment. So I'll take that. For you, I just have to defend you because I would not, <laughs> that's not how I would describe. Like Bryce is 6'6". Six, six. Like there's nothing prepubescent about him at all, you know? <laughs> I'm not really sure what the over-under was on us saying prepubescent ever ever on this podcast and we've now said it three or four times in the first three minutes of this episode so shout out the the rating we appreciate it and the review again it was a five star so i'm not complaining like i appreciate the five star i just need a little bit of clarity on what exactly that's coming from and again why omari's barry white voice is an issue at all i i guess it is kind of fun like i there is a contrast between you and i right like you're a little more low-key you have this deep barry white voice and Bryce's voice Bryce's is not voice doesn't match his size. <laughs> you know what's funny too, and my own kids say this, but my students say this as well. They're like, "You're so happy on the podcast. You're always smiling. Why aren't you like that whenever you're teaching us and stuff?" So maybe it's just this like giddiness, this excitement, you know, whatever that I have. But man, I love talking hoops. I'm here with my guys, Amari and Wes. So. I understand it. I'm not going to change it. And I don't know that it was intended to change it, but it was interesting. It did make me laugh and, and make me think about it a little bit. No doubt. Yeah. When I saw that one, I was like, man, if I don't wear something to use to describe Bryce, I don't know about that one. But I also never listened to our episodes after we yeah. record because I like I know what we talked about. So maybe I'll spit it back specifically in the car because I have heard that depending on the speakers, like my voice could be a little harsh, I guess. So maybe there's like a contrast there. I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some testing and I'll report back with a future episode. Yeah. I, I haven't listened back for a while because I used to do all the edits, which I didn't even have to listen to full episodes. Wes keeps all the notes. I don't even do the edits anymore. So I, I don't listen back to it either. I did in the early days of Motor City Hoops to try to grow and improve and get rid of ums and likes and things like that. But now Wes keeps those notes. So I don't even have to do that. And I don't like hearing my own voice. So I guess there we go. Like, I don't like I don't hearing my own voice either. So <laughs> I guess uh, I understand it. But let's 
let's talk about what everybody's here for. Again, thank you for the rating, the review, everybody else, like, subscribe, do all the same. Help us continue to grow to be the best pissing podcast out there, the most recognizable, and the pin down with Wes being number two. Killian Hayes, let's start there. We're three days from the deadline at this point. Things are really going to be interesting here. We've had some things change recently, even in the NBA landscape, Amari, with this injury to Joel Embiid, and how does that change what the Sixers do? The injury to Zach Levine, which some may say directly impacts what the Pistons are doing. Let's start with Killian Hayes, though, because I think that was something that we even talked about on Game Theory. Like, that was Sam's first one that he brought up when we talked about it. So for those who don't know, maybe haven't read your article or seen your tweets, where are things at with the Detroit Pistons and Killian Hayes and his representation? Yeah, Killian Hayes, his representation are at the point where they just see his future, obviously, probably not being in Detroit, given how they've drafted in the past couple of years, trading for Sasser and then obviously just the way the rotation is treated this season. He's a restricted free agent this upcoming summer. And I think the Pistons too, I mean, he's been a healthy scratch the last three games. And it just seems extremely unlikely that they will try to retain him this summer. So it just makes sense for both sides. I think there's an understanding on both sides that it's probably better to part ways, uh, whether that happens as a, a, a trade or something else down the road. I'm not sure at this point, uh, but I did have a story on Sunday, uh, just kind of diving into what to expect from the trade deadline. Now that they're completely past uh, Zach Levine, who, of course, is going to miss the rest of the season with that foot injury. And even before that, I think the odds of that deal happening were kind of low just because the Pistons were not going to give up any assets at all. And that deal, and it would have had to have been a pure salary dump, uh, which I don't think Chicago's at that point yet. So it just didn't seem likely regardless. But yeah, in addition to Killian, uh, still have to wait to see if they do anything with the veterans who are on expiring deals. You have Joe Harris, you have Monte Morris, Boyan, who's only guaranteed for $2 million, and then Alec Burks. And the sense really overall is that they're going to wait to the offseason to make a bigger type swing. I know we talked about on the pod uh, last month, and I reported that they wanted to clear enough cap space to have enough room to sign two significant talents or trade for two significant talents. I think that's still the plan, but they probably will wait to the offseason when uh, the market improves from where it is now as far as teams looking to get off of some of these contracts. So we'll see. We can start off and talk Killian's situation a little bit here, but probably not going to be a lot of fireworks this trade deadline. So Cheryl Brown, appreciate you. Don't change, Bryce. You're great the way you are. <laughs> and then Anthony Bellino. What's up, Anthony? He says, what's my up, guys, Anthony? Anthony's the best. I know Amari's been there. I joined his radio show every once in a while. X's nose bros in the morning. So check that out. Appreciate you, Anthony, joining in. Also, guys, like we are more than willing to take questions about the trade deadline specifically if you have a mock trade whatever we're going to talk trade deadline as long as this thing can goes and as long as you guys want and then we will have other things on the outline we'll get to if necessary so get your comments your questions all of that stuff in as we're recording well let's go ahead and start with Killian though Omari when do you think this came to a head it seemed like Monty was truly interested in Killian the player when he came to Detroit we saw them give him a chance this year. And then, like you said, over the last few weeks, especially kind of as Marcus Sasser has really shown his ability to contribute and play, he just completely fell out of the rotation. So do you think the Pistons came into, like, this is just completely your thoughts. Do you think they came into this year with wanting to give him a chance and really see what they had? And maybe they thought he was part of the future and then it just didn't really work out that way? The sense I got last summer was that they were preparing to move on from him. Obviously, you trade to draft Marcus Sasser, who is, they're, they're playing him off ball, but still, you know, he's a guy that competes directly with Killian for playing time. And then on top of that, you traded for a Boris, who got hurt. So, you know, I, I think the interesting side timeline is if Monte didn't get hurt, what would that have meant for Killian going into the season? But obviously he got hurt, uh, just as battled some injuries. And then, Early on, it just seemed like Monty Williams was really cool on Zayden Ivey and talked about Killian being a big point guard, about him kind of seeing him from afar and wanting to work with him, see what he could get. And that's where things started off this season, obviously, for those who have been following the log. And, you know, I think since then, Monty talked about the meeting with the rest of the team ownership in the front office where 
they asked him why they hadn't played Jaden Ivey. They want to let him initiate more pick and roll, and he just said he hadn't thought of it. And Ivey, you look at his stats over the last month uh, since he's been a full-time starter, and I looked at it last night. I think I put it in my story, but he's averaging about 18 a game. Like he's shooting like 37% from three, like 46% overall. Since the turnover ratio still isn't great, but he's been an effective scorer. And on top of that, I think a reason why Monty was cooling them early on was just because of the defense. And his defense has improved. Like it most certainly has improved. And I think that defensive improvement has correlated with him hanging on to that starting spot and, you know, getting the playing time a lot of people thought he should have gotten earlier on. So I just say all that to say, you know, Killian started off in favor as the year goes on. Uh, I think the backcourt just kind of naturally took shape with Ivy playing a lot better, K being K, obviously. Uh, Marcus Sasser shooting like 42% from three as a rookie, 48% overall, which you can't plan for. And then Monte Morris coming back. And uh, the game Monte came back, I think Killian only played nine minutes because Monte was on a minute restriction and he hasn't played the last three games. So it's just the backcourt situation evolving over the course of the season. And now you're at the point where you're probably not going to commit to Killian long term. And I think Killian also understands that. So where do you go from here? Because it probably doesn't make sense to carry him beyond this point if he knows it's probably not going to continue beyond the offseason. Let's settle on Ivy for just a second here because YouTube user says, I loved Ivy's effort in every phase this season. We've talked about Omari, the offensive rebounding, some of the block shots. There was a play in the game on Sunday against the Magic where he you know, gets hung up on a ball screen, which he still tends to do, but gives a second effort, gets back in front, forces a pass out, and then continues to play as Paolo Bencaro gets close to the rim and blocks the shot from behind. I just thought that was the epitome of what Jaden Ivey has done defensively this year. It's not fundamentally perfect. It's not incredible in regards to that, but he's found ways to use his athleticism, his explosion, second efforts, those type of things to make an impact defensively. I'm really close to feeling like Jaden Ivey is almost an average defender. I don't think he's there yet, but it's getting really close. And we were talking last year about him being really bad. Like, yes, he was all rookies are bad. It was kind of even beyond just being bad for a rookie. The growth he has made defensively is extremely impressive. So, I mean, shout out that. And then Mike asked here, so shout out Mike, would clearing the way for Sasser maybe a factor in moving him, that being Killian Hayes? And so I do think we've talked about this a little bit. The idea of all these young guys is really cool and exciting, but eventually you have to be able to prioritize which ones you play and which ones you don't. And now in that backcourt, you have Caden Ivey playing the minutes and the rotations we've all wanted. And it looks like, I don't know, for me, I feel like Marcus Sasser should at least be the third or fourth guard in that rotation. There just really aren't minutes there for Killian Hayes. He's still young. I actually, I don't blame his representation for wanting him to go somewhere else. And maybe he figures it out somewhere else, which I do want to ask you about in just a second. But it seems like Sasser's play and Ivy's also have really contributed to this yeah, no doubt. They didn't come into the season with the expectation that they would have to utilize Sasser. And I think trading for Monte gave them more insurance as far as that, right? Like we have two point guards we don't know if we'll be able to rely on. So we're going to bring in this experienced vet to help keep the ship afloat. But with Ivy, I mean, absolutely. I think the defensive improvement is a huge factor in uh, why he's been on the court now. I would agree he's probably closer to average now. And I think what he lacks maybe in just the awareness or the screen navigation you want to see uh, he does one have one of the better block rates for any guard. Like we've seen him really race to get guys in transition. You mentioned the Ben Carroll play. He could do that. He's been better about, I think, using his left in general. And he's also been knocking down threes over the last month. And that makes him really a pretty solid fit next to a guy in Cade who probably needs that spacing and that defense next to him. So with Killian, right. I mean, it's just at this point, what is the best option for both of those sides? Like, I don't know if you necessarily wave a guy like that, right? Like, you know, I don't know if there's maybe a protected second a, a team would give up or I actually wanted to float this by too. Mike Scotto from Hoops Hype today reported that the Grizzlies are interested. And then my friend Chris Harrington, who is a longtime Grizzlies writer now for the Daily Miffian, he had a tweet earlier basically saying if the Pistons wanted to pursue a second draft route, with one of two or Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, or David Roddy, or I have interest in John Conchar, it could make sense since Killian Hayes is essentially an expiring contract. And the Grizzlies have a lot of young guys that they're not going to commit to long term. Zaire Williams being a six foot nine 
wing slash forward. David Roddy's a bit more of an undersized forward. Jake LaRavia, I know, was just sort of an all-around toolsy guy coming out of college who could shoot the ball. None of those guys have really shot well in the NBA. All those guys, I would say, are, are, are projects. But if that's a straight swap where essentially Biffins gets a look at Killian, and if they don't, don't want to commit, then they just don't commit, and the Pistons get a young wing that they can get a look at. That probably makes sense for both sides. So just looking at likely or best-case scenarios for Detroit, I think that's probably pretty high up there. Doug, real quick, Bryce, are you saying that Monty's tough love with Ivy was justified? It drove me crazy. Like, I don't know. I don't think we have the answer to that. Caleb, you know, has an interesting, it can be both justified and heavy handed. We don't know. Like, maybe. Like, if, if that was a direct correlation, I think you could draw that. I think we're too much on the outside to know for sure. Listen, if they trade Killian Hayes for any one of the three you just said, I think Pistons fans should be, you know, that that's a win, I guess, in, in my book, because if Killian returns any, like even if he returned a legit second round pick, I think that that would be a win, you know, not some crazy protected one just because you have to add something in or, you know, like if they would have to buy him out just to make him happy and his agent happy or whatever. Those three guys, Williams, Laravia, Roddy are all interesting in their own right. I'm not saying it's going to pan out. Here's the other thing they're you know, we just talked about the log jam at the guard position, Omari, and why. Even if Killian was kind of still interesting for the organization, he may not be able to find minutes. Even if those guys haven't been great, there are minutes to be had for them in the rotation. I think that's why it's interesting to me. You could bring in David Roddy and let him play a bunch of minutes for 20, 25 games and see. You could bring in Jake LaRavia, who has struggled in and out of the lineup with some injuries and things like that. Hasn't always shot the ball well, but is a really good shooter in his history. And you can come in and give him legit minutes, consistent minutes, and maybe he finds that shooting touch. And now all of a sudden you have a former first round pick playing a position that you really need and value. If they are able to swing that, if Troy Weaver can swing Killian Hayes for anybody in regards to a wing forward who makes a little bit of sense, I would th- that would be a really, really nice move in my opinion. No doubt. I mean, that's a pure win. Uh, for the Pistons. I'm not going to sit here and act like I've watched a lot of those guys since they were drafted, but I still followed, you know, I'm still like I covered the Grizzlies for almost two years. So that was the team I covered before the Pistons. They have that organization has had a pretty good track record for kind of finding those diamonds in the rough. So all three of those guys are former first round picks, I believe. Roddy might have been an early second rounder, but I know LaRavia and Zaire Williams were both first round picks. So yeah, if you get a recent first round guy that a team's willing to part ways with just because they have too many young guys, essentially. And another team I was curious as far as that is OKC, just because they have way more picks they could use, but probably not in the context of Killian Hayes. But absolutely. I mean, Zaire Williams, 6'9", athletic. He had a weird college season. And he, like, I know he had flashes in Memphis, but they got his numbers now, and he's just not scoring the ball efficiently at all, but also still a younger guy. If you get it, if he could even just become a solid wing who can play solid defense and knock down open threes, I mean, I think that's a huge win for Detroit just have a piece like that going forward. All right, last thing on Killian Hayes, and then we'll probably need to take a quick break. Again, we I, I listen, guys, we star all of your questions. We will get to that whenever kind of the, the conversation here gets to, to that point. What, what do you think the future holds for Killian? Like, wh- what would be the best scenario for him? I've seen people, again, like recording on other podcasts say, oh, he needs to go to another bad team, like the Spurs, right? Who have some minutes at the point guard position. Or maybe the Wizards, who if they trade Tyus Jones, there's minutes available there. I've also seen other people say, send him to a good team where they have good floor spacing and then now they can make up for his lack of floor spacing. What do you, is there like a situation? And you don't have to say specifically, Amari, but you think there's a specific situation that maybe would seem better to you to maybe where Killian Hayes can find a footing and find some success? So that's what's interesting because a team that is uh, uh, contending or a team with at least a 500 record that could use a point guard because they're competing down the stretch, you know, I'm not sure if they trade for Killian with the expectation that they're going to have to play him, right? You know, just because if he already wasn't playing for the Pistons to have six wins, then you're probably not targeting him with the expectation that he's going to fill an immediate hole for you. So I would look at it as Memphis probably making more sense just because, like, they have 13 guys injured. Like, I know last night, I think they had three guys on 
like disability contracts just because they had so many guys out. And then you had three two-way guys also playing. And then it was like Luke Kennard and one other guy. Like they're just completely decimated by injury. So you trade for Killian. At worst, it's a financial move that, that saves you money over the offseason. And at best, you know, maybe Killian shows you something. That he's a guy that, you know, you can kind of keep with the system if you do believe that he could be a pretty good third point guard. You know, Ja's not the best shooter, so I don't know if you play Kill and Ja together next season, but Kill's six five, he's a lot bigger than Ja. Like maybe there's something there and maybe that three point shot. You know, I don't know. You know, I think for Killian, it just has to be more than the passing, right? You have to really, really be above average defensively or, or gotta hit threes or free throws. He's slumped at the line as well, too. So you just can't be a negative offensively and all you bring is just passing. I think wherever you end up, it just comes down to him been able to add a little bit more value uh, because at 6'5", I do think that gives him more leeway than maybe a 6'2 guard who's had those struggles. Yeah, and I think a lot with Killian, you know, we've seen the talent flash at times. Like, it's a, it's a lot about confidence. And so if, you know, him and his representation can find a spot that is going to give him consistent minutes, you know, I, I've, I've threw out the stats before for his career where he's way better coming in the starting lineup and then off the bench. And I think that has a lot to do with confidence and maybe his feeling of the organization or the coaching staff and their confidence in him. So it will be interesting. It sounds like his time in Detroit is over. You know, it's interesting now, four years, we look back on that draft, number seven overall pick, Weaver's first selection, Killian Hayes, doesn't look like it's going to pan out. He ended up trading Sadiq Bey for James Wiseman, who like an underlying storyline here is ever since Mascala and Gallo came to town, Wiseman hasn't really been getting consistent minutes either. So you wonder where that's going to go, even at this deadline. And then obviously Isaiah Stewart was the third one in that draft as well. So just interesting that, you know, we get this far out and you cover a team and podcast about a team for long enough. You really can start to evaluate some of those draft picks. We're going to go to a short break, Amari. When we come back, before we get to questions, let's talk about the other guys on the roster. I wanted to ask you and get your perspective on the expiring deals, Amari. Is Gallo staying around? Is Mascala? Is Burks? Boyan? Those type of things. Let's dive into that after this short break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with segment two. And now that we've talked Killian, we are going to dive into the veterans on expiring deals, of which there are many. They just acquired Mike Buscala and Danilo Gallinari, who have probably already surpassed most expectations as far as what they would be able to bring on the floor. You have Joe Harris and Monte Morris, the two guys they traded for last offseason. And then you still have Boyan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks. And you can even throw Kevin Knox in that category, too, if he wants to see uh, just on a one-year deal. Uh, but they have a number of guys who have gotten various levels of attention from other teams. I know there was a report today that the Lakers looked into Gallinari, uh, who obviously would be 36 later on this year. And this front office has been unique in the sense that they have been a rebuilding team that has not really prioritized trading guys for assets. They've kind of preferred to just keep guys together and kind of continue what they have, which, you know, I think if they were to do it this year with like six wins on the board that would be curious to just compare to whatever offers were out there. Right. But we don't, like I, like I can say for a fact, like bogey Burks, those guys have been popular targets pretty much since they arrived in Detroit, just because of how well they shoot the ball. And there's been some interest from Monte Morris too. And I guess that's the question long term, right? I don't get the sense that Gallo and Buscala are going anywhere, but at what point does this front office just say, you know, the season's not going anywhere. Whatever plan we had to take a leap for it, the season hasn't happened. So let's just get all the assets we can and then re- reassess over the offseason, right? You know, I think on some level, that's already the plan is to <laughs> test the market again and make those swings over the offseason. But at what point do you prioritize the asset side of that too? You still have a first-round pick deficit. Like at what point does that, think, that thinking change, right? When they extended Boyan Bogdanovic like two weeks into that 2022-23 season, it was with the expectation that he would be, there was a good chance he would be on this team when they start to win more games. And the belief was that it would be 
this season. And that, of course, has not happened. You know, so last year, I think to an extent, like you're probably aware that you're playing with fire, bringing a guy who's 34, going on 35 back. Now you have a guy who's going on 35 and he's only partially guaranteed for $2 million next season. One thing I will say is that like cap space is an asset. You know, sometimes people look at it as we don't trade this guy, we get him for nothing. But if you can't do that without taking on more salary, right, does it make more sense to take on maybe a deal that, I don't want to say poisons the well, but just doesn't necessarily fit with your long-term flexibility for a first? Or do you just say, hey, we can just go into the offseason and if it's not there, we have an extra $18 million to do whatever we want with, right? You know, I think that's an option that's on the table. Alec Burks, you know, like Monty Williams loves Alec Burks. Like he's been a favorite in the locker room pretty much since he showed up. And of course, it's also a guy that has swung some games for the Pistons just by being red hot from three. You know, I think this front office has really been focused on keeping the locker room together, you know, because they know how bad losing can affect teams. You know, like you look at a few years ago, like Philly, like I think they had guys even get in trouble when they were kind of going through the extent of their losing. But this is like an unprecedented amount of losing for this franchise as well. So I think we'll learn a lot in the next two days as far as maybe where that desperation level is and how much they want to pivot because they can slow play this. You have to 3 p.m. Thursday to listen to whatever offers you want. That's where you're at now because so far it seems as though they're going to continue to operate the way that they have, which is we're going to keep our vets in the system unless we get offered a first that we can't refuse or a player we can't refuse. And then we just figure it out from there, you know, which also means that the season kind of just is what it is, right? I don't think they'll do anything specifically so that they could just say, we won 12 games instead of 10 or 15 games instead of 12 or whatever you end up with. Yeah, and I don't think my thought process with potentially moving Boyan or Morris or Burks has anything to do with winning more games this year. It's just like, can you do some of quote-unquote pre-agency or start building for the 24-25 season at this deadline? And I guess if none of those moves are available, if there's truly nothing there, I, I guess I understand them setting it out. And if we end up with no moves and they just play it out and it is what it is, I've gone through this. I think we had a question or it got brought up a little bit earlier. To me, there's like six guys who kind of fill out a 10-man rotation. Caden and Ivy in the backcourt, Duran in the frontcourt, off the bench, quote-unquote, Sasser, Asar, and Stu. Like, those are the six guys I feel like kind of have for 24-25, I would assume they're on the roster. So you need to fill out four rotation spots. Like, Omari, how do you feel? Or like, what, do, what would you put the odds of, Maybe those spots get filled up by, okay, a top five pick is going to fill up one of those spots. Maybe it is Boyan back on $20 million. Maybe it is Burks is one of those spots or Monte Morris. And you bring these guys back. Maybe you keep Mike Muscala to be the fifth big behind these guys. I mean, it makes a little more sense if there's nothing you can truly get. You know, if, if the two first round picks either was never truly there, which is sometimes reported that it was for Boyan at last deadline, and it's not there this year. There's no great assets. Maybe you're better off just keeping these guys on your team, depending, of course, some of these guys you would have to re-sign, right? You have to give Burks a new contract, Morris a new contract. But I just, I'm interested. I'm, I'm fascinated to see where they go now. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see as well. And I think this offseason... And, you know, I'm going to say this and people will say, well, that's been the topic every single offseason, which is true. You know, we have talked about changes every offseason. And when you look back, the changes probably aren't as substantive as you would think for a team that's trying to get better. But now they're in a situation where you have no choice, right? Like, how do you justify bringing all these guys back when they underachieved so much the previous season? Like, that's not a recipe for success. And even if you bring everybody back and then you add two more guys using that $60 billion, that you cleared up, you know, are those two guys going to be enough to turn a you know twelve win team into a team that could actually compete for the play and or deeper? Right, like I think that's been what maybe has been somewhat confusing about the whole process is that now you're in this weird purgatory of well this season is a waste because clearly we're not going to do anything playoff wise, but at the same time you still don't want to fall into that trap of making a panic move that that ties you up. Uh, they're very very aware of what that Blake Griffin trade did and how difficult it was to kind of move past that. And I think more than anything, that's what they're really, really trying not to do is just make a deal just to say, hey, we're a better team now. And if this season is what it is, then you can go into the offseason. And at that point, teams likely are more willing to shake up their rosters rather than do it midseason. 
and maybe the price of some of these players comes down. Since now, I mean, the Pistons can't give up a first-round pick, right? So it doesn't matter where talks are if you're not going to give up a young player to replace those first-round picks. They're not going to give up any of those six guys that you mentioned. So, yeah, they're in a weird in-between spot, right? There's clearly a need to, you know, make big changes, but you're not going to make those big changes now. So at what point do you say, okay, these veterans are not part of our future and we're just going to take what we can get and then reassess this offseason. And that's what it's hinging on because if you're planning to bring a lot of these same guys back, then those two play- those two players you signed with the cap space, they've got to be star-level players. They can't just be guys who are solid starters. They've got to be guys who can really take it all the way up here. Yeah, so Doug McMiniman brings up an int- internal development and getting a forward who can protect the room is what every move should enhance. I think that's kind of where I'm at because, again, like we all want this team to be better, right, Omari? But I feel like we all sit here and go, man, we really like Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and Asar Thompson and Jalen Dern and Marcus Sasser. And, you know, we're all going to talk ourselves into Zachary Reese or Cody Williams or whoever it is. Well, how many vets, especially high price, high usage vets, can you bring in and still feel like you're developing those guys? So I think that's where this team is like you say, like in purgatory or the middle ground is, I I think it's one real good swing. And I think it is a forward. I think that's where they really, really need to make a huge jump is like that three, four position. I would say a true four man that can come in and be really good on both ends of the floor because you don't want to take away too much from Cade and Jaden and Jalen and Sasser off the bench and you'll hopefully a star continues to prove where he can take a little bit of usage and a top five pick. So you can't go crazy. I, you know who I thought, again, we'll give him some love here. I will. I feel like the Houston Rockets towed this line pretty well this offseason. And, and listen, I didn't see it when it happened, but they brought in Fred Van Vliet, high money guy, but not a high usage guy. And that allows all their other guys to continue to do their things. And then Dylan Brooks, hasn't been what a lot of us thought, which was come in and jack shots on a team like Houston. I think that's where Detroit needs to do. I'm not saying they got to give, you know, $40 million commitment, but I think that's what they need to find these guys that are really good players, but are still going to allow the young guys to grow and develop like the Rockets have with Shingoon and now Cam Whitmore and some of those guys. And that's the thing, because you look at the Rockets and Shingoon has been playing like a star and that's been a huge catalyst and their improvement. I mean, I, I just think having a center who could play and make like that is a cheat code in today's NBA. But along with that, you have Dylan Brooks, right? And he's was really the the three and D wing that they needed. And he really improved just the floor for this team from a competitiveness standpoint. And some of the other guys they added, like Jeff Green, you know, just a guy who comes in, brings professionalism, could still play at a pretty high level. He had a dunk against the Pistons that I was like, that was Jeff. He, he, he turns back the clock about every yeah. game I watch. It's pretty impressive, to be honest. That's insane. But that strategy worked for them. But I think the key part of that is still the player development, right? They have guys who are stepping yes. into larger roles. And they've been so successful on that front that, I mean, Jabari Smith Jr., he's been hugely improved this season. Yes. Like, even though Jalen Green has essentially stagnated, that has not set back their rebuild at all. And the Pistons are not at that point yet. If Kate Cunningham has a season that Jalen Green is currently having, and he's not like he's having a better season than Jalen Green, but you need K to essentially be that Shin Goon type guy, along with all the rest of the players stepping up. You know, I think that's still the key ingredient for Houston that hasn't quite clicked for the Pistons, where you have guys like Amin um, Thompson, who's, you know, spent time with their G League team just because you have Van Fleet and other guys in your system who are already taking up all those minutes. So that's just depth, really, I think, to kind of just cut that entire spiel short. Like you have depth at each position and it makes you not have to rely on guys who are not ready yet and the Pistons are not there yet. They're still relying on rookies and players who have not proven that they can win games yet. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you just have to make sure that when you make these moves, and we all agree there has to be improvement, right? You can't run it back with... Even with as, as much as we've seen Monte Morris help this team at times, even though he struggled some... And Boyan helped this team. And those, like, obviously, these aren't the right pieces. So you have to go find upgrades, whether it's with them taking roles that are further back or guys that just are better than them straight up. But you have to be able to do it without really suffocating anything for Cade and Jaden and those guys as well, at least in my opinion. Because at the end of the day, this thing really hinges, I think, specifically on those two more than anything. And so you got to give them freedom and room to do their thing and grow and find out 
how good they can or cannot be. Let's go to some questions here. So Doug McMiniman says, Afternoon, fellas. This may not be a popular sentiment, but it's okay if the Pistons don't do a lot and keep con essentially says the same thing. Not making a move won't be popular, but could become reality in a few days. Omari, right now, you know, Monday afternoon, where do you stand on that in terms of, are we looking at maybe one trade that's Killian Hayes, maybe a James Wiseman, maybe Joe Harris? Do you think a couple, two or three, or do you think Pistons fans may be a little bit underwhelmed if they're looking for some fireworks at the deadline for Detroit? I think they would be underwhelmed if they're looking for fireworks. I just don't think there is a deal on the table now that they feel, you know, a deal that would change the franchise fortunes that's like realistic or wouldn't require them giving up on one of the young guys that they're not willing to part ways with yet. Yeah, I could see a deal for one of the younger guys who probably aren't in a long-term plans like a Killian. I could see them parting ways with maybe one of the vets, um, you know, whether it's Bogey or Monte or Burks or Joe Harris, if there's like a straight salary dump that makes sense long-term. Uh, there's still stuff there, but I would expect uh, a couple more deals from like the small to moderate range, but not like a Zach Levine level swing. I think more so than not, they're just going to wait to the offseason because there's nothing you can do to win the court of public opinion at this point, right? Like, it just kind of is what what it is. You're not going to make a deal just to say we did something because that's how we did that. It backfired uh, pretty heavily. So you kind of just have to eat that this season. You know, we put all of our eggs into this core, taking a leap forward, and they did not do that. So, you know, you just kind of figure things out when you have more of a broad off season to make those types of moves. And that's how they've operated pretty much up until this point. You look at the midseason trades they've done. They trade for Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, Dennis Smith Jr. You know, guys, they, they can just take good looks at and see if they fit the system. They haven't really made those franchise-changing trades in the middle of the season. So even though probably the urgency level needs to be higher than it's ever been, more than likely that will not manifest until we get to the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I could see, like, I think at one point I had this vision in my head, Omari, that they're going to trade off all of these expiring contracts and they're going to bring somebody in and all of these other assets. And it's like, that's not really realistic. Like, that doesn't make sense. To be honest, the fact they have so many makes it way more likely that they strategically and hopefully pick the right ones to keep, right? Like, do you need Monte Morris and Alec Burks? I realize they're not the same player, but if you already have Sasser and Cade and Ivy, so... Maybe now that you have both, you are able to get rid of one. And you have Joe Harris's $20 million, so you don't need Boyan's $20 million in some move if you need $20 million of matching salary. You have Mascala and Gallo, so maybe you don't keep both of those guys. So I think some moves are going to happen, but I think it's probably just a couple of them because you got you still have to keep some of these guys on the roster because the thing is, like I don't know, I don't know what you're you aren't trading those guys for improvements necessarily, not immediate improvements anyway. It's probably some sort of draft capital or some player who's unproven or maybe they're young and unproven. Like you said, Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, those type of guys. And I think quite honestly, like everybody's kind of tired of taking those type of chances anyway. So I don't know that anybody would get excited. You know, even if people didn't love Wiseman or Bagley, I think there was a certain level of excitement whenever they traded for Bull Bull, you know, in the move that didn't happen. I think everybody's appetite for that is kind of over. And I don't know what the, how much better it gets if you trade those guys off. Uh, another, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I think a key distinction with those past midseason trades too is that in every example, I think the Pistons gave up like proven rotation guys for players who were not proven rotation players. You traded Trey Lyles for Marvin Bagley, and Trey Lyles is probably a better fit for this team. Uh, you trade Sadiq for James Wiseman and Sadiq's actually won really cold after a hot start. I haven't checked his numbers in the last week. I'm actually going to check now, but not at the point where you kind of see that deal as, you know, like a failure or whatever it, it may be if Sadiq wasn't the guy you're going to commit to long term. But once again, I think that they're past that, right? If they do take a flyer on a young guy, it'll be more so trading a guy like Killian rather than try to turn an established player into a, a player who's not. All right, let's go to a short break and we're just going to go, we'll just answer your questions here at the end of the episode, guys. So we'll get to as many as we can, get them in while you're here, whether you're on YouTube, Twitter, whatever. We appreciate you guys tuning in live here. And just a quick note for everybody, we plan on going live as soon as we get a chance if there is a move that is made throughout the week. So we've already talked about this, may not be an hour, it may be something shorter, but if the Pistons make a trade, 
make sure you have subscribed and you're tuning in to the YouTube channel or Twitter or whatever, because we plan on going live ASAP when a move, if a move is made. But Amari, we'll start with this question here from sports fan after this short break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are on segment three, and we will answer your questions, whether it's trade deadline related or anything else. So first, we have a question from SportsFan. Hey, guys, two, we have two questions for SportsFan. Yeah. One, are you guys confident that Detroit will make a splash of the offseason? And then two, over, under, two trades made before Thursday evening. Thanks. Bryce, I'll let you lead off with this one. All right, so I do think that they have to do something in the offseason. I, I feel like yeah. they're going to make a splash. I guess that could change depending on who you are, what a real splash means. But I, I think they're going to go make a move. Like they have to significantly upgrade the talent on the roster. I know I just went through a whole spiel like you can't smother Cade and Ivy, but you can go get in. Like those guys have to be able to play with other good players. You're not going to win, you know, deep into the playoffs with just those two guys even playing at their best. So I think they at least one really good wing forward in free agency trade, however you make it happen. And then I think they draft one as well and really kind of reform that room. And and I would like that. I'm going to change the second one, Omari, to one and a half. That way we can go over under on that. So what what is your answer to the second question? And you can answer the first, obviously, if you want also. But over under one and a half trades. I'm going to say over, even though I think they're smaller deals, I still think it would be over one and a half. And for the record, I would go under two and a half if somebody made it that the line. Yeah, no, I think... That's my exact answer as well. I think they will make up to two deals. You know, maybe there's a room for a third deal if you get a really nice offer for one of the guys you value pretty highly. But I see them making a round two. So I'm going to take the over on that and just so take the over on that. As for the first question, I am pretty confident that they may make a splash over the offseason or will make a splash over the offseason. I think that, you know, just from talking to people in the front office this season, they've, you know, pretty clearly defined that, uh, they have to switch things up pretty dramatically. I know that Troy Weaver is operating from the standpoint of we have to turn this thing around like ASAP, right? Like you can't be the GM of a rebuild, you know, in year four of a team with this record. So, you know, I believe there's certainly a lot of, a lot of urgency on his part to get this thing going and improving it. They have $60 million in, in cap space, like ver- verbatim. They're looking to get impact players, which is probably – not a Joe Harris, Monte Morris type situation again. It's guys who are going to come in and start for you. Like, I think their backs are against the wall, and I think you have to make a splash this offseason because otherwise you're just going to be at the bottom of the, of the uh, East again next season. So out of necessity, I'm going to say, yes, they do make a splash. So Brandon S. says, gaining control of our first in New York is probably the biggest move we could make to help going forward. Bogey and taking Fournier money might get it done. Your thoughts? My thoughts are, I do think that would open up a lot of possibilities. I think the idea of cap space this offseason is a lot more enticing if Detroit did have control over all of their future first because then you can package those without the protections and all of that. Does Bogey get it done? I don't know. Like The more I think about New York and Tom Thibodeau, I feel like Tom Thibodeau has his specific type of players and is Boyan Bogdanovich his specific type of player. I will say this. Even though I really like what New York has done and they've been playing well, they are missing some second unit scoring with Emmanuel quickly now in Toronto. And while obviously they're not even close to the same type of players, I could see them valuing someone like Boyan to come in and get buckets with the second unit there. Is that worth that? They have a bunch of first round picks, a lot of them kind of weird protections on them. Maybe it's worth it if if they really want to go for it. Maybe this Joel Embiid injury makes them feel like an even bigger opportunity to really win in the playoffs this year. I do like your thought process, though, here, Brandon, in terms of getting back the protections or getting those protections off that pick does open up some flexibility for Detroit. 
It does. I think from Detroit's standpoint, that makes a lot of sense to get that first back because now you're you're made whole and that really, really ups your draft flexibility going forward. You know, because, of course, they've been kind of handcuffed on that front since giving up a first for Isaiah Stewart four years ago. So it does make sense. Like, I don't know if New York says yes to that just because Bogey's 34 and you can bring him back next season. He's still playing at a high level. I don't know if just looking at the long-term value there, if that's like the best use of that asset for New York. But then again, they've been on fire, like Jalen Brunson's having the MVP caliber season. And you never know. Maybe they decide to go all in and go for it this year. Uh, this has been the best next season since who knows when. Uh, you know, my gut says that's probably not the best move for New York, but for Detroit, that makes a lot of sense. So Doug McMinniman says the Pistons won't turn the corner until they get a rim protector, like Chuck points out. I think Chuck was in the chat with this first. And uh, I'm going to build off of this even with our guy Kyle Metz. He says, do you think Duran has the defensive instincts to be a defensive anchor? If not, would you try to move him this summer in a package swing for a game-changing forward? So I think really what this comes down to is, do you feel like they have the five-man on the roster to really hold the fort down? Where are we at with Jalen Duran in terms of being able to do that and grow and be that rim protector? And then my other thing, Amari, is, okay, I like the idea of bringing in another rim protector. Well, then where does Isaiah Stewart play? And like, I'm fine if you say, well, then you ship off Isaiah Stewart. But like, we've talked about this at length. Everybody's tired of Isaiah Stewart at the four. So if you feel like they need better rim protection, then it's either Jalen Duran or Isaiah Stewart that you have to get rid of. And so I think that's where like some tough decisions may eventually come. Do you you keep Duran and Stewart on this roster long-term? I do think, and I've kind of held this one. I, I think Duran has a long way to go with his defense. Like the, every game, my notes are, doesn't recover in the ball screen. Doesn't protect, you know, like some of those things. Doesn't value positioning enough. He's young, second year, does a lot of things really well. Like he's still flirting with that 12 and 12, Omari, to, to make you look like a genius. But I mean, I understand people wanting to see something better defensively from him, especially now that we've seen it from Jaden Ivey. The next, like, Cade Cunningham's defense need to improve as well. But, you know, they ask about Jalen Duran and rim protection. Yeah, it has to be Jalen Duran. I think he's the only guy on this team that even has the capability uh, to be that elite rim protector. You know, I think Isaiah Stewart could really, really, really drive in certain matchups as far as Isaiah playing the four. Defensively, there are nights where that makes the most sense. Like he's, he actually does a pretty decent job defending Giannis. Uh, he does a great job against Kuzma. There are matchups that he is just really, really strong defensively in. And I think you could keep Isaiah Stewart as a hybrid four slash five, depending on the matchup. You could play at Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran front court against the Milwaukee Bucks. Like you could, there's just certain teams you can do it against just because of how the teams match up. With that being said, Duran is the only guy on this roster who really has that capability to be a, at least an average rim protector. And he's very, very far off from that right now, which is not uncommon for young bigs, but it's just that the, the Pistons are in a position where they need Duran to do it now and you need him to do it next season if you're going to make a leap next season. I think that's probably the biggest factor in their long-term success is if Duran can figure that out on defense or at least be average, right? Because if you're not that, then that's just a significant hole you have to fill. I think you could commit to both of those guys. I think Isaiah Stewart's deal in the grass game is not really that high. Like for a role player that can handle some of those offensive matchups and knock down threes, I think that's fine. I think it's within the realm of possibility that he does increase his three-point volume as he gets more comfortable. And some of those issues sort themselves out with time. But you don't have another rim protector beyond Doran. And that's why I look at this offseason and some of the guys that uh, top are probably like big fours or fives in the NBA. But like with that, if you could get a guy young or, you know, an older vet who can protect the rim, you have to do it. If you want to be a serious team next season, you can't just rely on Jalen Duran making this massive leap from the second to third season. You need to bring in some guys who can already do it. That's kind of what Houston did with their backcourt, bringing in Van Fleet, you know, the Pistons going forward. you got to have that to make any sort of improvement and you probably don't want to have to rely on the 20 21 year old guy just to be your lone person who can do that so chuck brewer says stew to the bench long term yeah like i I agree we've talked about this and we've said for a while now like a third big is a really nice role for him again my thing is and you can talk me into this if a true rim protector is better for this team long term you can talk me into that 
But then I don't think you have a great role for Isaiah Stewart in that situation. If Jalen Duran's your starting five, and then you feel like you need a real rim protector coming off the bench at the five, then like then you're almost exclusively playing Stu at the four off the bench. Like that's a little bit better than starting him at the four, obviously. But I still think I like the idea of a third big who's playing more minutes at the five than at the four. So Matthias, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name here. Why not trade for Obi Toppin? It would be cheaper than Tobias and Toppin is shooting 40% from three and is athletic. Like, hey, I, I don't know what it takes to get Obi Toppin. I kind of wonder if he could be on the market and a guy they're not getting talked about a lot because Pascal obviously is there. They just drafted Jairus Walker in the top 10. Uh, OB would be interesting to me. When I watch Pacers games, I think he does a lot of really good things. If he can space the floor, knock down corner threes, that is, that is a really nice fit. And as you said, you know, cheaper than Tobias Harris. I'll pull up his contract and maybe those corner catch and shoot numbers as you give your thoughts on this, Amari. Yeah, I mean, I think fit-wise, OB is a great fit for this team. He's a forward that can handle the ball a little bit. Like he shot the ball really well. He could put it on the floor a little bit. I think all of those things are things the Pistons need in their front court. I think just from a trade standpoint, I'm curious what would entice Indiana to part ways with them. They obviously have invested in that four position a bit, but Obi's still a good rotation guy. Like he's still playing between 10 to 20 minutes a night for them. So he hasn't fallen entirely out of the rotation. And, you know, could you get them for second round picks? Cause you do a salary dump. Like I'm not quite sure, but if you can get them and the price is, is pretty good, I say go for it. I just, I'm curious from Indiana's standpoint, what on Detroit's roster would interest me. That's also something that the Pistons are willing to part ways with. And that's where I think it becomes tougher to come up with a trade that makes sense. So he says is Matthews in Portuguese. I'm Brazilian. So my bad. I I tried to overthink that one. So Matthew from uh, Brazil. So we appreciate you very much. And yeah, Obi's on his rookie deal still. So my mistake there. The corner catch and shoot threes, not quite as good as I'd want, but still kind of understand the thought process there with that. This next one is a name that very intriguing to me. This is from three championship drive. How do you guys feel about the Pistons going after Simone Fontecchio this offseason? This dude can really shoot it. I think this would be a really interesting signing for the Detroit Pistons, bringing him in. I think this is the type of move that would make a ton of sense. He can space the floor, fits right in there. I, I really like this idea, to be honest with you. I like that idea, too. I mean, he's shooting 39% from three this season. It seems like every time he's played the Pistons this year, he's hit like at least three threes. Like, I just remember hearing his name a lot. And every time he uh, faces the uh, Pistons, I mean, a success story uh, for Utah, obviously, who brought him in last season. Just looking at at his numbers, he's improved so much this year. He shot 37% last year overall, and now he's at 45 3% from three last season. Now he's at 39. He's like one of those guys who's like sort of like a veteran who's also not because his first year in the NBA was last year, but he's 28 years old. So, you know, you kind of look at it and think he's like 21, 22, but no, he's like, he'll be one of the older players on the Pistons, but 100%. I mean, any guy who just come in and just really, truly knock down threes, I think you have to look at a player like that because that's the biggest thing to see in these, obviously. And just for reference here, according to Spot Track, he would be a restricted free agent, which of course we know like that complicates things and and all of that. So just wanted to, you know, clarify that. Caleb says, any chance they can use their cap space to open up space for teams that need it? I'm curious how big and lucrative that market will be. Yeah, I mean, that's always a thing, but you know, as we saw this last offseason, that's kind of what they did for like the Nets, right? You take the sin contract and that hasn't worked out at all. Maybe at the deadline, they could be the third team in some of these deals. We've talked about this. You know, if the Lakers go in on DeJounte Murray and the Hawks have no interest in D'Angelo Russell, would you bring in D'Angelo Russell just to kind of get some buckets for whatever reason on this team? He has a player option for a little less than 20 million next year. So I wonder if eventually they can be a third team in some of these deals? Can they, you know, take a bad contract, but get some assets or, you know, whatever it may be. I think that would be interesting. You know, the the most famous one, right, is Jared Allen to the Cavs. He he seemed like, everybody's like, how are the Cavs getting Jared Allen in this deal? And he ends up there. So maybe Detroit finds their way into one of those. And, you know, and then in the off season, the same thing, you don't have to use all of that. Maybe they take the, the swing on, one big time contract, one really good player, and then they use that other space to facilitate what you're talking about here. But yeah, there's always, you know, Keith Smith always comes on and talks about the Amari, there's all sorts of ways to use cap space outside of just signing 
free agents. No doubt. They're definitely looking at the trade market this offseason because you're not going to go out and sign probably a guy who's really going to change his franchise's fortunes. So a needy situation like that, more than likely, it's going to be some type of trade. So I agree with that. I'm sorry. What was the initial question? I like I lost my train my train of thought as I was addressing just that using point. the cap space yeah. to help out teams that are you know I think he was probably yeah. talking about like approaching the second apron and first apron and all of those type of things. Yeah, no doubt. No, I think the Pistons are perfectly positioned for that. Like just to be a landing spot for a salary a team's trying to get off of. Like if you remember two years ago when New York was clearing the cap space to sign Brunson to that huge deal, they offloaded you know some assets to Detroit to make that happen and. Again, I think those types of deals tend to be done over the offseason more so than, than in season. But absolutely, with all the cap space you have, with the expirings you have up to this trade deadline, if you do do it in the next couple of days, you're in perfect position for that. Uh, you know, I think when you acquire expiring contracts, typically for most front offices, that's what sort of the end game is, is that, you know, if you're not at a point where you can resign them or keep them with the team long term, you just figure out what assets you can get and a lot of times that is a third deal where there's some sort of salary dump where you're just taking on assets to do that. So that's always a possibility uh, outside of that Alec Burks deal. They haven't done that a whole lot. And this offseason, just to get better, I'm curious if they will go that route versus try to pack something together and really uh, getting a better player, right? So they have a few routes they can go as far as that. But absolutely, like I could see whether it's a D'Lo or somebody else, I could see them being involved in those talks and helping the team out by taking on those assets. All right, we're obviously getting to the end here, guys. So if you have any last-minute questions, this will be the last time we're live before the deadline for sure, unless an actual move is made, which then obviously we're diving right into that. Get them in, and then we're going to shut it down. Ben Cholik says, you know who would be a good fit on this roster? Trey Lyles. I just find that funny. I, I do not like to take victory laps, but I will say... I kind of tried to find that Trey Lyles wasn't as bad as what everybody thought. And, you know, he, he's found a nice home in Sacramento and, and does a good job for them. Dunk- and played out of position a lot in Detroit because yeah. of injuries. He played so much five here and he's more of a four, you know, so they couldn't even really utilize him the way he's supposed to be. So people got mad at his rebounding and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, ideally he's playing next to a guy like Duran and he's not being asked to do that. Yeah, I, I he, he's, he's turned himself into a quality rotation player on a good team that's, you know, going to make the playoffs. Doug McMiniman, do you guys still believe in Troy's ability to take the next step? Like, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Like, I think the fact he is the GM of the team right now probably means he's going to be the GM of the team this offseason. That's what I think anyway. And maybe not. Maybe they're going to let him go through the deadline and then they make the move in the offseason. I, I think we just, I've said this multiple times now. I think you have to hope if he is the GM of the team that he's learned from past mistakes, right? We, we all can agree that mistakes were made. The roster wasn't constructed right. They miscalculated things. And hopefully he is learning from those things. And it'll be interesting. You know, we've seen this team move on from Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman, two non-shooting bigs. And not saying Mascala and Gallo are the answer, but there seems to be a little bit of a shift. I guess they didn't move on from Wiseman, but now they're not playing him. Is, is he starting to take a different direction? Maybe he's putting together the team Monty Williams wants since Monty is now the coach. I don't know all of these things, but at the end of the day, I think we have to hope that he's learned from his mistakes. They're on the same page and they can start to build this thing out. And I just wonder if some of these trades at the deadline might give us a little bit of an insight if they do end up making any moves. No doubt. At the end of the day, he has to prove that he can take this team to the next step. You know, I don't think you could necessarily predict someone would do it until they do it. So I agree with Bryce. I think at the end of the day, he has to show that he can, you know, to really earn that benefit of the doubt. And so far, you know, it appears to have a chance to turn this thing around. So we'll just have to wait and see. Three Championship Drive says Jalen Smith from Indiana. Like, yeah, that would be a really nice name. I wonder about their appetite to actually move him. But that that would be interesting. This one, I want to get to this. This is from Marquise Jones. He says, most people which is interesting, starting to agree that Cade and Ivy don't mesh well together. Neither are true point guards. I think we'd get the most for Cade than any player. I'd trade him for a pew point guard vet plus three first. Listen, I, I am I am nowhere near, I don't know where you are at Amari, I am nowhere near moving either one of those guys. I still stand by that those two can work in the backcourt together. You can stagger them in the minutes. You know, obviously they have to play together some, start games, end of games. You can stagger them throughout the middle of the game. I have no interest at all. My stance right now, no interest at all in trading either one of those guys. And I'm still feeling fairly decent about those two working in the backcourt together. 
Yeah, I think the thing with Cade is that he turned over the ball prolifically first month of the season. But you check since then, he's cut those turnovers down substantially. Like in that stretch before he hurt his knee, like his assistant turnover ratio was like three to one. Like he had really improved on that front. And if K is not turning the ball over, uh, obviously he's the most capable playmaker on this roster that you could play him at point guard. You know, I think, you know, going for a pure PG at this point, like I guess who like who would that guy be? Because a, a lot of times we say, well, I would trade this player for this guy. And then you actually look at the options out there and you realize this guy is either not attainable or, or doesn't exist to begin with. No, you have K, he's 6'6", he could score, he could play make, do everything you pretty much want. Whereas the tools to do everything you want, you know, from a player at his position. Ivy, more probably more of an off guard than an on ball guy. Like he can create a lot out of the pick and roll. He put the ball in his hands. But <laughs> I saw it in Bryce's notes earlier, but just wild passes. Like you can't be a point <laughs> guard and just throw some of the passes he throws. And it's just off target. Like yeah. he, he, just off target. Yeah, like just too high, too low, stuff like that. And you probably want to pair him with a guy who takes better care of the ball. I think they can work. I think there's upside to building around two guards who are 6'6 six, six and 6'4". Six, Cade shot the ball a lot better after a rough start. Ivy shot the ball a lot better after a rough start. They've both showed in the Spurs that they could be really, really good defenders. So I'm not at that point yet. You know, I think you probably don't get to that point until it's time to extend Ivy because Cade's eligible this offseason. Uh, so you have another year to figure out that fit. And if you're not sold on it by then, then maybe at that point you can bid to one or the other kind of like how OKC did with Westbrook and Harden uh, years ago at this point, like 2011 or whenever that was. But the Pistons are not at that point yet. I think they have another year uh, to decide if those two guys could fit next to each other. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me how much, not Cade hate, but kind of some of the the, the thoughts and the takes on Cade Cunningham and, and the disbelief in him as you know, what he can be. Listen, I get it. Uh, I'm not going to discredit anybody's opinions or thoughts. You guys absolutely are entitled to all of those. So I understand it. I just personally am not there with either of those guys. Harry ass is Dean Wade gettable. I think that's another interesting name. Obviously not going to like change the trajectory, but he's another one of those guys that fits into like this forward position. He can definitely guard. Ideally, he spaces the floor. So, you know, are they able to make a move on, you know, either one of the, or somebody like that, you know, a Dean Wade, is that what they end up getting? Doesn't really move the needle or excite people a ton, but at least we see them shift into valuing this wing forward position and trying to start chip away at improving that spot. No doubt. Yeah, if I'm Cleveland, I mean, they were playing like the best team in the NBA before Garland came back. You know, and I think their decision now is we probably don't need Garland and Donovan Mitchell because we were so good with Donovan Mitchell at the one. So what do we do with Garland? You know, so that's the guy that I'm curious about, you know, if Garland is the one that they uh, trade because otherwise they play so well that uh, it probably just makes more sense for them to hold the group together. Like it doesn't make sense to flip being way to somebody else for bogey, maybe, but you're giving up size, probably some defense and rebounding. Um, If he's gettable, then by all means go for it. But it's another situation where I look at it from the other team's perspective and say, if we do make a, a trade, then Detroit's probably not the team we're going to deal with because do you include Dean Wade alongside Darius Garland? Like the Pistons aren't going to trade for Darius Garland. So I think that still kind of puts you in a position where you're looking elsewhere uh, to fill that wing position if you're Detroit. Okay, last one. How long before this team even approaches respectability? Do you see any potential draft pick, whether we get the pick or not, who can help? Listen, there's some guys in the draft that are intriguing. It's not Victor, it's not Scoop, it's not Brandon Miller, at least not right now. We still have a lot of time until the draft, and we will start to dive into that probably in, in the next month or so. Amari, I know you know you and I talked about this a little bit. I think you, you may be eventually ready to get into it also. I've been doing this a ton. I have my whole 100-player big board and scouts and, and all of that stuff. So we're going to bring you great draft content when the time comes. I don't think we're there yet, but there are some guys that I think fit what this team needs. Are they the super high ceiling guys that are game changers? Probably not, or at least not what we're seeing right now. But there are some guys in there that you could say, hey, like I'll find my way to be excited about this guy with the Pistons. In terms of respectability, I don't know. Like if they, you know, make some moves around the, the edges here, they go into the offseason and they actually make that move this offseason for a substantial player. We see some of that internal growth that you know we talked about earlier. Maybe this is a team that's what we a lot of us were hoping for this season, but none of that's guaranteed. And we have to see it executed by the front office, the players and the coaching staff. 
No doubt. I mean, they're on pace for 10 wins. I don't think he go from 10 wins to respectability in less than two years. You know, so realistically, that this pushes whatever time frame they had back at least two years. You have to first just get the team up to water this offseason, and then you still have to figure out how to get them to respectability after that, which to me, you know, means that you're at least 500. So there's probably still an uphill climb from here. They have the tools to change things pretty rapidly, but again, they're on pace for 10 wins this year. So there's something else to see before I can buy into them changing this thing around within a year. So Logan D says, hey guys, I'm late, but I made it. Thank you. We appreciate it again. We're over a hundred almost this entire time from YouTube and Twitter. So thank you everybody for tuning in live. If you're listening after the fact, obviously we appreciate you just as much. Come join us live sometimes where you can ask questions and interact. And again, guys, look out for any episode coming if a trade deadline move is made by the Pistons. And then one last one here, be a little selfish. Doug says, Bryce, please tell your wife thanks for being there for us. You are a star. Yes, she is a star. I told her, Amari, I said, I went to her yesterday. I said, Rainy, it's trade deadline week. And she's like, okay, well, what, what does that mean? I said, just, just be ready. Okay, just be ready for it to be very crazy and a lot of podcasts and me being super busy. I love you. We watched a bunch of Ted Lasso last night, which I have questions about one of the episodes in season two that was like, what, what are we doing here? So any Ted Lasso fans DM me. I want to talk about that episode. I was like, but I said, it's going to be crazy. So I just wanted to prepare her. So I appreciate her very much and, and my family for always sacrificing my time so I can do this with you guys, which I absolutely love. No doubt, no doubt. And this is one of the most fun weeks of the year. We're going to try to, you know, do a shorter pod, react to any trades they make this week. And then, of course, we'll always be back with you all uh, next week as well. So big thanks to everybody who tuned in. This is probably our longest episode in a while. And yeah. It's only fitting that we did it, you know, ahead of uh, the busiest week of the year so far. So big thanks to everybody who came in and asked a question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, again, join us. Be on the lookout. We'll obviously be back next week. Kind of normal time, normal thing as well. Amari, take it away. Absolutely. A big thanks to our editor, Robin Chan, our editor-in-chief, Deco Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And then, as always, big thanks to Wes. And we will talk to you all soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.